As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. Edgewater Sports Park, just outside of Cincinnati, Ohio, will play host to the Dick Winley Memorial Race Weekend starting Thursday evening, August the 20th, with a test and tune and big money bracket racing on Friday through Sunday. Stay tuned for details on what is shaping up to be an incredible event. BTE builds products that you can depend on, whether it's a complete power glide transmission, a torque converter for your specific combination, or any related component or bolt-on item. The professionals at BTE and Memphis Performance have what you need to succeed. Shop online at bteracing.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's cool hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in sportsman drag racing and the stars within it. Welcome back, or welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, where we sometimes discuss the strip teaser and the meat wagon. Stay tuned (laughs) for more details. Jed, how are you, sir? Oh, Luke, I couldn't be better. Things are going really well and, uh, you know, again, safe and healthy, which is about all we can ask for these days. Hope the same for you. Coming off a little racing, I'm sure you... Yeah, yeah, got to do a little racing. Got uh, kind of an embarrassing finish. We'll we'll talk about that just a little bit as we get into uh, coverage from the, the World Super Pro Challenge, or uh, as, as we call it on the show, the, the OG 50 Grander. yeah. In, up in mid-michigan 27th annual so we talk about that we uh we kind of run the gamut in today's show big jed we, we'll focus on that to start we'll transition into a, a little bit deeper discussion on the future of bracket racing uh maybe sportsman racing in general but but specifically bracket racing and uh i know that that's a, a subject that we have talked about before on the show 
uh, shrouded at least on my end in some pessimism. I don't like the direction that a lot, uh, that a lot of things are going, but today's conversation is a little bit more optimistic. So, so stay tuned. I'm not, I'm not chicken little, the sky's falling today. Optimistic <laughs> appearance. Uh, so stay tuned for that. And then we close with, with one of our more enjoyable segments. We've been doing our top fives and, uh, this week's top five is our top five uh, racing-related songs or songs that we listen to at or on the way to the racetrack to kind of get fired up for the day's competition. Yeah, looking forward to that, Luke. Uh, again, I'm, uh, I'm not a big music buff, but uh, I got a list that I like to play and like to listen to, and, and it'll, be, uh, it'll be hot and heavy on my list for sure, on my top five list. As a, as a quick... Um, note of a warning my two-year-old jack who just burst into my office yet again does make an appearance on this week's podcast it, of course at at i think the the most serious point of the show really uh, some background noise so enjoy I, I don't think i heard it I, i'm looking forward to that i bet you didn't <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. You, you've got that and and much more to look forward to but first pj north Big Jed. Luke. I hear congratulations are in order, sir. Um, well, yeah, I, that still remains to be seen, but, uh, you know, taking a, taking a new position at work increases the responsibility and the pressure and the expectations. And, you know, I don't like really any of that. So we'll <laughs> see. We'll see how it works out. But thank you very much. Welcome back, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. Sorry, I missed a week. I missed, I missed Kunkel, too. Kunkel's usually pretty entertaining. Was he good? Yeah, Kunkel was great. Um, it, it was a really good, uh, really good interview with him. And um, while his feet seemed simply amazing, it got more amazinger uh, when we got into the discussion because that's the first time he's ever done it. And he didn't test or nothing. He just showed up at the track and decided he would uh, set it up and got pretty close on the time trials and then won 15 rounds in a row against some extremely stiff competition. So Kunkel was a lot of fun. That's awesome. That's a heck of a story. It was a great story. To begin with, but you add that to it and it's even better. Yeah, I thought so as well. All right. So we're going to lead off today with some talk from, I actually, I saw this on draggersresults.com, so I can't take credit for it. The OG 50 grander. I like that. That's the world super pro challenge. Mid Michigan Motorplex, and it is. It was the original 50 grander. It's been going on. I think this was the 27th consecutive year for the World Super Pro Challenge. Wow. <clears throat> the uh, the big winner, uh, I guess big winners, but we'll start at the top. Uh, Cody Height wins the the big show, the 50 grander Saturday night. Um, and Height, to my understanding, uh, pr a prominent local racer, uh, better known for his exploits in no box. And what I thought was cool about this, and I think most people will, will agree, is this just kind of uh, extended what has become a trend so far in 2020, that the, I don't know, like the, the winners of these events aren't necessarily $100,000 race cars. Because you see a 
a lot of hundred thousand dollar race cars these days. Mm. Not knocking Cody Hyatt's equipment at all, but like you can see the picture of it in the winter circle. It's it's multicolored. I think the back tag on it says something to the effect of Ugly Betty. And it's not just a clever nickname. Like it's not the prettiest car. It's obviously a very good car, but six fifty door car, you know, seemingly relatively low budget operation, made really, really good runs, obviously throughout, but specifically late in the fifty and one uh, in impressive fashion. So uh, I thought that was cool. It was really a good weekend for the door car guys all the way around. Um, Hype got the win over Ricky Adkins, another door car. Adkins, by the way, winner of, I believe, the inaugural World Super Pro Challenge some 26 plus years ago at Stanton. And uh, the, one of the cool things about that event, Jed, is that in now the 27 year history, there's never been a repeat winner in the 50. Atkins almost made him take that off the flyer. That is impressive that you've had that many years of it and that many different winners. And uh, that's, I'm assuming that every, out of every year, out of all 27 of them, Luke, there's been a 50K winner. Um, I, I don't remember hearing or remember that any time that it got canceled or wasn't run to completion. So uh, 27 different winners is pretty impressive in 27 years. Good stuff. No question. Um, I'd say kind of a, a door car weekend to that point. Um, the final three in the 50 door cars, the final four, the final five. Um, he had a dragster winner Thursday, a dragster winner Sunday, but the other races were all door car finals. Um, so, yeah, it, it was a door car type of weekend up there and a, and a great turnout. Um, I think Mike Ledford told me this was the Thursday race numbers, but I, I want to say that last year, on Thursday, they had 180 entries, and this year it was right at 300. Biggest turnout that they've had in a long time, possibly ever, uh, which is seems to be par for the course for big dollar bracket racing in, in 2012. There are a lot of uh, segments of this economy hit in an adverse way. Uh, the, the highest levels of big dollar bracket racing certainly does not seem to be one of them, and that trend continued at Stanton. Um, Couple other quick notes, other winners from the weekend. It led off Thursday, 10 grander, a couple of familiar names. Nick Folk defeated Gary Williams in the final round. Friday, 10 grander, another familiar name. It was uh, Wes May getting the win. Wes defeated Aaron Vale, another two familiar names in the final. Mm -hmm. um, as I mentioned, uh, Cody Hyde over Ricky Adkins in the big show. And then Sunday, things closed out with a five-grander that saw Bailey Ferraro. He actually beat me in the final. We won't talk about the final. It was not pretty. I'm not sure Bailey's crossed the finish line yet, but his win light is on. So congrats to all of the winners from Michigan. And I think, um, to some extent, I wanted to, I wanted to make note of some, some names that I, I always like to look back on the weekend, particularly when, when I was in Jed. And not only highlight the winners, but kind of highlight the, the standout performances, the MVPs to, to steal a line from the fling, if you will. So the really impressive performances for me from Stanton, stars of the show. Uh, a couple of names that, that I did just mention. One, West May, uh, winner of not only winner of the Friday 10 grander, also advanced to the semifinal round of three in the 50, where he missed the tree, I think, for the first time all weekend. Um, Wes was, Wes was Wes. He was, he was very impressive in, in route to victory and then, and then followed that up with a semifinal. One name that did not make a final, but absolutely put on a show name that you're familiar with. I know Jed, Brett Williamson out of Illinois, Northern Illinois, 
Brett had, they did a, they did a no box 32. And, uh, so the, the no box winner obviously fell into, uh, the sixth round of each day's event. And within that you could enter the no box 32 and then also double enter and run your second entry with the delay box, which is what Brett did. It's actually also what I did throughout the course of the weekend, Brett with much more success, um, <laughs> On Fridays, in Friday's 10 grander, Brett Williamson won on the no box side and still had his uh, regular super pro entry in at that point. Carried both entries to nine cars remaining total where he had to run himself uh, on his basically competition by run when he couldn't stage beside himself. He earned the by run at five and then lost at three and then followed that performance up the next day by advancing to the quarterfinals in the 50 grander. So Brett, while he wasn't in a final, accumulated, I think it's safe to say, more win lights than anyone over the course of the weekend. Um, Gary Williams had a big weekend, which again, to be expected, uh, mentioned runner-up to Nick Folk on day one. Gary followed that up on day number last uh, with a semifinal appearance in that last five grander. So not a huge uh, like financial weekend for someone like Gary Williams, runner-up in a 10, semi in a five, but it was impressive, like went a ton of rounds. And the one that won't get a lot of recognition at all, but I feel like I need to shed some light on because he was impressive throughout the weekend and he absolutely beat yours truly like a drum. And that is Kelly Smith. Kelly Smith, um, noted bottom ball racer from that area, really noted racer in general, but I think he's best known for his, uh, his exploits off the bottom. He's most familiar with the 27 T roadster, but he was driving a, an S 10 pickup this weekend that I think uh, he said his wife recently bought Kelly Smith, the no box 32 portion. He won Thursday. He runnered up to Brett Williamson Friday and he won Sunday. So three of the four days in the final of the no box 32 and the no box 32 deal was no joke. Um, he was nasty. I know, uh, I know the runs that he made against me. He was five total and 10 total the first two days. And those, I didn't feel like he was picking on me. Like those weren't an outlier. That's pretty much what he did. Uh, really impressive. Yeah, there are, there's a ton of impressive bottom bobbers in that area, and uh, obviously they, they showed up in full force. And I saw Brett Williamson's uh, recap of his weekend on Facebook, and look, I think he said he set the switch, I don't know, maybe 35 or 39 times or something. It was it was in the upper 30s uh, over the, the four days of the, the event. So obviously made a lot of laps because uh, that's not a whole bunch of time trials and that was getting a lot of wind lights did what brett williamson does him and the lady in black seem to work extremely well together and obviously they did again there at stanton over the weekend good for him and good to see those bottom bulbers competing well on the on the big stage as always yeah brett brett put on a show i um and i, th I think at this point Brett's pretty well nationally recognized. He's still a young guy. I mean, Brett might be 20. Yeah, he's young. Um, I I've, I feel like he's been doing this forever because I was introduced to Brett. I did a school with the folks at Byron. We did a handful of them, but we were probably going back 10 years, maybe more. And um, Brett was in one of our classes, but it may not have been the first one. I think the first time there, Nick and Brian made me go up. If you've ever been to Byron, you can sit on the hill and watch the finish line. And they're like, you got to watch this kid. And we watched 10 year old Brett Williamson drive the lights out of the finish line. Like it was one of the more impressive things I've ever seen and thought on that day, 
this kid's going to be special. And um, he has not disappointed. Like, <laughs> Good call. At this point, I don't know that he's necessarily won on the biggest stages, but I think it's safe to say that's coming. Um, and he's had a lot of success and has a bright, bright future ahead, no question. Yeah, agreed. All right, so that caps up, uh, wraps up the the World Super Pro Challenge. Uh, again, great race. Kudos to the Ledford family. I, I didn't miss that race, Jed, for I'm going to say a pretty much a full decade from probably 99 to 09, 10. And I haven't been back since. So I, it felt like, it felt like returning to, you know, your high school graduation or something. Like it was a lot of fun to get back to Stanton. Nothing, nothing's really changed. Um, and, and they just do an awesome job. It, it was a lot of fun and we'll go back next year. My wife won a free entry. So we have to go back, right? Oh, you got to no choice. Yeah, no choice. We're in. Um, <laughs> let's transition over the, the, there was other racing throughout the weekend. We'll, we'll touch on it, uh, here and there. Uh, and obviously there's some, some racing on the docket, Jed, but where I wanted to go next in today's show, and this got spurred on, I think you teased it a little bit, um, in last week's show with the uh, people. And I was on the, uh, I guess this kind of got started. We've had discussions along these lines before here on the podcast. Last week, I appeared on the on the Drag Champ con, uh, podcast with uh, with Ryan and Gary Don and Jake, and among several places that our conversation led, one of the questions that they asked was like, "What do you see for the the future of bragger racing?" And I'll be honest, I kind of stumbled and stammered around and repeated a lot of the same things that I've said here before. But it it's one of those things that when we got off the air, it it kind of catalyzed thought, and I thought, okay, we're in an odd time, obviously. <laughs> and we're in a in a very unique time specifically for big dollar bracket racing because as weird as as 2020's been as bizarre as 2020's been if there's been one big winner it has been big dollar bracket racing right i mean just week after week seemingly record setting crowds bigger purses bigger entry fees nothing seems to really be failing and uh and so i thought well, where is this headed and um and then you combine that uh, shortly after the podcast, uh, Nate Van Wagnen from Drag Illustrated reached out. Their, uh, their sportsman issue is upcoming. And I don't know, like, our crowd, I don't know if we have a lot of Drag Illustrated subscribers because I think most bracket racers feel that, by and large, Drag Illustrated is more catered towards the Heads Up Pro Mod Series, something like that. They have really good stuff. Even if you don't subscribe week in and week out, like that sportsman issue each year is one of the best bracket racing, sportsman racing publications of the calendar year. Like even if you don't, whatever, throw the rest of them in the, in the trash if you want to. Like getting that, that packet, that, that magazine is worth the subscription in and of itself. But yeah, they had reached out asking me to do like a, an op-ed um, for that issue. And it's like, write about whatever you want. I'm like, oh God, that's, that's way too, <laughs> way too broad, right? <laughs> and, but that, that conversation on the Strike Champ podcast got me thinking, okay, well, I could write on this. So this is essentially what I wrote on. It's a little bit of a spoiler alert because I'm sure that that issue won't come out for a couple of weeks. But Jed, we've, we've hashed this over before. And I feel as though, by and large, I've personally been relatively pessimistic about the future of bracket racing in general. Like there's a lot of, I feel like a lot of hurdles. I'm not always convinced that we're moving in the right direction. A couple of things that I've really focused on in the past that I do think are, are, are valid concerns. 
number one, the, the, the graduation rate, for lack of a better term, from junior dragsters to the type of racing that we do, I don't think is great. Like, I don't think it's what we had envisioned 25, 27 years ago with the advent of the junior director program. Like we're going to groom all of these kids. They're going to fall in love with racing and they're all going to become sports racers. At least from where I came from, that was the expectation. Did you feel the same way? Oh, no doubt. Yeah. It's, it's definitely uh, what I, what I thought back then and, and the way it is now is definitely a lot different than I envisioned. And I, to, yeah, to that point, like we just haven't seen that graduation rate. And some of that I think is predictable, if not inevitable. I mean, just think back, I know this is difficult for me to remember. It's probably hard for you to remember too, but think back to when you're 10, 12 years old and think about the things that you were interested in. Are you interested in many of those things now? Oh, goodness, no. Right. So, I, I mean, and then you've got the, the actual, you know, turning of the page, like that graduation time is 17, 18 years old. There's so much going on in life. You're getting done with high school. Perhaps you're going on to college. Perhaps you're starting your, uh, you know, career, whatever the case may be. Like, I don't know that racing necessarily fits in. So I think that there's a lot of junior racers that either take a hiatus or just don't continue in the sport at all. That I think yeah. is inevitable. What I think is um, is alarming for us personally as sports and drag racers is how many of the, the junior drag racers that do graduate and go on in drag racing, the seemingly relatively small percentage of them that stay within the sportsman drag racing ranks, like that they go into bracket racing. That I think is a concern, right? For for from our standpoint. Would you agree? Yeah, it's, it's definitely not progressing at a very high percentage of overall racers. You hear, you know, every year at these Eastern Conference finals, you know, 500, 600, 700 juniors. So you would think the, the new blood in the, in the sport, in the big cars, if you will, w would continue to be happening at big numbers. But it's, Luke, it's an extremely small percentage. It feels that way. I, I don't know if that's completely accurate, but it certainly feels that way to me. And then you take the age old debate, so to speak. And, and I know that we have grilled this before in, in some aspects, but you get a lot of arguments that, well, this onslaught of big dollar events and, and the popularity of them is ultimately, you know, killing local bracket racing. And I think that that's a valid argument. But as I've said here before, I, I do think that you could very easily argue the other side of that. Like to me, it's kind of what came first, the chicken or the egg, right? Was it a case of these big dollar races popped up and took away all of the local racers? Or had racing gotten to a point where your local Saturday night race, perhaps for financial reasons, right? Perhaps just for uh, from the, the logistics of the event and how well run it was, how fun it was. Maybe it's the case that racers were just looking for another option, something to do other than the, the, the weekend warrior type events. And these big dollar bracket races came in and kind of filled that void. Like I, I don't know that necessarily one is more true than the other. And obviously the, the correct answer is probably some mixture of both, but I think it's reasonable to argue on either side of that. Yeah, I would agree with that. That's 
I mean, it's hard to say which one is the reason, but I would think it's definitely a combination of the two. And, um, you know, I think as you alluded to early in that part of the discussion, the, the financial part of it, you know, when you pull up to the, to the diesel pump or you're getting your racing fuel, they don't ask you how much you're racing for. It's the same price, no matter what. And I think those expenses are just, getting to the point where it makes it difficult on people to not justify because you go to the track and you come out 500 bucks to the good. That's not a bad thing. That's a really good thing. But I think it just has gotten to the point expense wise where it doesn't peg people's excitement meter and it's probably allowing them uh, enough reason to go do other things instead of race locally. So I'm not sure that every time guys are not showing up at the local track that they're off racing for tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars. And that's the reason they're not here. There's some of that, but I think mainly local Saturday night racing struggles to, to peg people's interest meter. So I think mostly that is the challenge right now. How do we get them interested in coming and doing this on Saturday night? I agree with that. And I agree that, or at least my take on this is that both of these issues, and we're singling out, I mean, obviously there are other um, potential pitfalls and, and hurdles facing sportsman drag racing in general and, and bracket racing at the local, regional, big dollar level. But both of these that we just pinpointed, the, the, the graduation rate, say, from junior drag extra into you know, bracket style classes, and... Um, you know, the, the debate over, you know, where do racers really want to go? Is it the big dollar races? Is it the, the regional events? What have you? I think the main underlying issue to all of it just boils down to the, the simple fact that we have allowed the cost of competition to continue to increase. I don't want to say spiral out of control. I think that's a little bit of hyperbole. But I just think that we've priced out a lot of that younger generation, you know, that potentially junior dragster on or, you know, just the 20 something, 30 something, you know, blue collar worker, like interested in cars, like where do they start? I mean, you, you look at what's competitive. And again, I think it's a good thing, as we said earlier, that we're seeing, you know, relatively modest cars having success. But it's not hard to look around the pits and think, I, wow, like, how can I compete? Like, I need a $50,000, $70,000 race car. Look, look what else is going on here, right? And my, my concern with all of this is where, where do new racers come from, right? I, I, don't, I think I've met a handful over the years, but it may be that. <laughs> Just literally could count on one hand of racers that I met that were at their first event and it was like a 10 grander or a 20 grander. Like that's not the place to start, right? We, we cut our teeth, Chad, racing for peanuts, you know, and, and yeah. go down the track a bunch of times and it didn't cost a lot of money. And as that local scene, I don't want to say like dries up, but seemingly diminishes and becomes less and less popular and harder for tracks to, to justify, my concern is where does that next generation of, of bracket racer come from? On the flip side of that, I do remember, we talk a little bit about the old heads and how we're becoming the old heads. I remember this conversation going on 30 years ago. 
and all of the old heads, quote unquote, saying, I don't know where the next group of racers is going to come from. This thing's dying. And look at us 30 years later. Like this thing, this bracket racing is, I think you could pretty easily argue, stronger than it's ever been. So maybe we're, maybe we're making way too, way too much about nothing. I don't know. Yeah, you know, Luke, I, I can see both sides of that debate. Um, when I started was 36 years ago, and uh, the the bottom bulb class would have, you know, 100, 120 cars in it, uh, and there were no double entries, so the the number was actual, and there were no buybacks, and there was a lot of new blood, but in the, the first probably 10 years that I raced from 84 to 94, that changed so much. So you talked about 30 years ago, you can remember that discussion being had. Well, you're right on point with it because that's about where things started changing late eighties into the early nineties. Delay boxes changed it a lot. Uh, when I first started seeing delay boxes, you know, people, you could have them in whatever class. It wasn't just, it wasn't a top bulb and bottom bulb. It was a super pro and sportsman or something. You can have it in any class. So the delay boxes ran a bunch of racers out. But I, honestly, for us in my area, when test and tune started being done, it's like, well, they're going to open up one night a week and let you come run your car up and down the racetrack. All of the the fun seekers that were showing up on Saturday night would just go run the crap out of their car because you only got, you know, a couple of runs and you got beat up on and went home if you wasn't very good back in those days. Well, they could all run five, six, eight times on Tuesday night and they didn't come to the races anymore. Uh, I'm definitely not trying to say test and tune killed the, the bracket races, but they, you know, the people that were there just for entertainment purposes with no intention or expectation of winning they went away and what we were surprised to learn was that was a very large portion of the crowd and then all the people that felt like they could win the race was all that was showing up and that's continuing on today you know it's the numbers are just getting smaller and smaller on the local level and it's obviously creating these kind of discussions but uh, i think for the most part you're right on about where those things started changing and you know, it was delay boxes and test and tune in my area that I can remember having an impact on crowds. And, it, and you know, now we've just found another hundred reasons that hundred things that are having an impact on it. It's interesting that when you think back and pinpoint, you pinpoint the, the advent of the delay box, which is, it obviously wasn't the first sign of technology coming into our sport, right? But it's probably the, the biggest change that we've seen in our lifetime, right? And I feel like it's a microcosm for the impact that technology has had. And you can argue this either way too, because what I think technology has done, and you can start it from there, and you can even go into, you know, stutter boxes when they were legal, to throttle stops to now these days, you know, data acquisition and, and everything else that is at our fingertips, right? All of this technology on one hand has helped to bring parity to help level the playing field because I, it amazes me. Some of the people you see these posts on social media and they're like, well, the way to fix this is to outlaw all that junk, right? Do you people not realize 
if you outlaw, quote unquote outlaw all that junk, you think the Scotty Richardsons and Peter Biondos and Hunter Pattons of the world dominate now? You take all that away and the rest of us don't have a chance. Like you just take, I don't, I'm interested to hear if you'd agree with this, Jed, but you take the most talented racer at the racetrack and the least experienced, the greenest, the, the rookie. And you equip them in both, you know, delay box equipped, competitive, top bulb cars. The better racer is better. But like, let's just, let's limit the conversation to reaction time. Over the course of the day, the better racer's reaction time might, might average, I don't know, 15 thousandths better. Something like that. You take those same two drivers and make them, you know, foot brake a rental car that experienced racer is going to average like a 10th better reaction time over the course of the day. Yeah. Every bit of it. And you, you, you obviously were right on point with the cream rises to the top and without the aid of some of these quote unquote gadgets that have happened in the last 40 years, uh, it would only be worse. Uh, I assure you um, those, some of those guys you mentioned, were winning when when there wasn't all that stuff and they've continued to win with all of it so it's definitely not something that it definitely made them i guess a, a little bit better racer but the level between them and the average joe has has not that gap hasn't closed up from a talent standpoint but equipment has helped close the gap for sure and without the equipment those guys would dominate so you could argue that technology to some level has been good for our sport. And I do, I don't think that today's purses, you know, that these hundred thousand dollar million dollar race win, I don't think that those could be supported if there weren't so many people that genuinely believe they could win. And if you took that technology away, I guarantee you there would not be so many people that genuinely thought or had a chance to win on the flip side. What all of this technology has done is obviously driven up the cost of competition. So it's a double-edged sword, right? That you take the good with the bad. Um, so, all right, so to this point, like I've, we've kind of gone through all of these arguments that we've hashed through in the past at some point, and that, that was absolutely pessimistic, Luke. Like that is, here's all the, the stuff that's against us and why it's never going to get any better than it is today, right? And it may not. I think those are really valid concerns. And I've heard it said, I, I wish I could attribute this to someone or something that I read. I don't know where I got this, but it's so true that cost is ultimately the killer of every class in motorsports. Maybe that's true for all competition in general. Like, and, and the, the way to justify that is, and let's just keep the conversation to, to racing. Like we've all, let's say 30 years ago, it seemed like there was a more uh, level playing field in terms of investment in operation, right? The, the, the more talented racers certainly won more often than they did today, but it seemed like everyone was from the same deck of cards, more or less. Well, inevitably, someone somewhere comes along and sees the opportunity to gain a competitive advantage by essentially just outspending the competition. Like, I'm just going to have better equipment whatever that looks like in this day and age, right? And at some point, enough people do that and begin to have success. And then everyone else at the racetrack sees that and goes, oh, 
well, they're winning, but like they got way better stuff than I do. I just need to get better stuff. So then the, the investments, not necessarily across the board, but progressively continues to go up. Well, as it goes up, with, it goes without saying, eventually we price out the racer that's either at the bottom of the totem pole or simply can't justify whether they have that, the, the resources to, to make that investment or not, can't justify making that investment and say, okay, I'm out, right? Like I, I'm not competitive and I'm not going to spend the money that it takes to be competitive. And we've seen this in every category in every form of motorsports over time, you know, from the professional classes on down in our sport. And if you really take a, a big step back perspective wise and think about this, that's how bracket racing first came to be, right? We had class racing, you know, which now we, we look at as, as stock and super stock. Um, but that's the evolution of class racing. Like class racing was what everybody did in the 50s, 60s, and I'm going to say into the 70s. And it got so expensive to be competitive that racers were looking for a different option. And bracket racing was born. It was hey, I don't have to be the fastest car in my class. I don't have to have the fastest combination of, you know, two-barrel, 283, Power Glide equipped Chevy 2 to be competitive. Like, I can take the car that I have, put a dial-in on the window, and race. And I have as good a shot as anyone. That's how bracket racing was born. Well, now, here we are 50 years later, and we've allowed the, the price of competition to escalate, okay? And, and I, like many... Pessimistic Luke here saying, that's a problem. And I don't think it's necessarily a good thing. Like, I'm not saying that it's a, it's a concern that we can completely ignore. But here's the thing. Bracket racing 50 years ago was going to make class racing extinct, right? It came out, hey, this is a cheaper option. It's more fun. Everybody's going to go to this. Well, 50 years later, what's class racing doing? Super stock and stock, those are still a thing. And at least over the course of my lifetime, the, the participation in those classes has been pretty inelastic. Like they get pretty much the same number of entries in 2020 as they did in 1990. And you can look and say like the, let's, let's specifically, let's hone in on the NHRA stock and super stock ranks because that's ultimately where all those class racers went. And you can look at that and say, you know, I don't know how long that can last, Luke, because the, the, that age demographic, and that, that's, a, that's an older group of guys and, and gals in stock and super stock. Listen, I ran Stock Eliminator in 1997, and I was out there with a bunch of old guys. Okay, the, the age demographic hasn't changed, and the numbers aren't going down. Like there are, as those racers age out, so to speak, retire, there are more stock and super stock racers that, that come in. And I think ultimately that's what we're going to say about bracket racing. Like we may very well have peaked or you could argue that, that we'll look back and say 2020 was the golden age of bracket racing. And maybe that's even a pessimistic view, but I think for me or for anyone to say like bracket racing is dying, bracket racing is going away. That's a complete exaggeration. There are too many racers with, too much invested. And I don't just mean financially. I mean, if you're listening to this, you're pretty invested in, in your form of competition, financially, um, in your time, in your passion. There is too much of that. Like, I feel like to some extent, bracket racing has gotten too big to fail. 
And it's going to take a lot of years for it to, to even diminish significantly, you know, barring a, an, an economic collapse. Like, I guess that's my takeaway. Like, optimistic Luke is coming out and just saying, okay, bracket raising may look completely different than it does today, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now. I'm, I'm actually pretty confident that it will. I don't know what that will look like, but it's going to be different. But I am just as confident in saying that bracket raising will exist 10, 20, 30 years from today. Like, I, I just, it's, I think it's too big to fail. It's not going anywhere. Yeah, I'm confident in that as well, Luke. Now, you know, this, the on-track strategies and things have changed a little over time, obviously. Um, equipment, different gadgets, if you will, again, I hate to keep using that word, have come out that, that help us be a little bit better and, and have a little bit tighter packages. But the, the main thing that's changed over time has been the formats. And I think that it's changing at just enough of a pace that it keeps people interested, you know, and, and things I mean, th examples are that we have separation of door cars and dragsters at the large events. Now we've got separation of uh, bottom bulb and top bulb until you get to a certain level. Those type things are happening at just enough pace, just enough of, a, of innovation that it's regenerating some interest out of some people. And, you know, it's like we talked about 10 years ago, where's all the door cars at? And now the door cars are showing up at very high numbers and competing on a very high scale because, you know, it's kind of uh, equaled out the opportunity, I guess. Uh, you're almost guaranteed a door car is going to be in the, in the thick of things in late rounds in these big races because of the separations and so I think the formats are changing enough and being just innovative enough that that will continue to happen and it will, you know, run in races over two days and those type things that we've never seen before. We'll see that continue in big money bracket racing and keep people interested and I guess for lack of a better word, satisfied with, um, you know, how it affects their racing program. I think those are the things we'll continue to see. I don't know how many, how many more gadgets we're going to see, Luke. I just don't know what else somebody can come up with to make racing any more, any tighter than it is. It's just ridiculously tough right now. You say that, but that's the same thing that we said 25 years ago. And we said, yeah, 25 years ago, we were wrong, Luke. Now I'm right. Well, that's a good point. That's, that's a good point. I hadn't <laughs> thought about it through that perspective, you know? <laughs> and like, man, race, it's my 200s package against that guy's 200s package. Like, it can't get any tighter. Now it's my 5,000s package against that guy's 5,000s package. And I don't know, eventually we'll probably dial to the thousandth. And if you miss, if you miss the dial in by two thousandths of a second, you want to throw a rock through the window of your car. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> just you might be right. Continue in that direction. Um, you brought up a really good point on the, on the door car separation too, on the, on the big dollar side. Like that's been such a huge boon for that aspect of competition that the big dollar races, because to your point, I mean, I want to credit Peter and Kyle, were they the first race to do that to separate door cars and dragsters? Well, on the scale that we see that we consider big money bracket races, I do believe they were. Um, I felt like that had happened before, but not on that scale. Right. But to your point, there was a time not long ago that if you were going to 
be serious about winning, you know, a top ball, big dollar bracket race. You had to have a dragster. And, and I think most people would, would, would agree that even in this day and age with technology where it is, if it's a completely open field, I don't think it's a huge advantage, but I think it's an advantage to have a dragster, right? That, I mean, they're faster. They're 70% weight on the rear tire. Just the idea that they're faster. Like there's the pure law of physics says that you're, four second dragster has to be more consistent than your seven second door car just because it's on the racetrack three seconds less like that's three seconds less that every variable can affect it right um but when you separate them it's evens the playing field so much and to your point jed i feel like you know that's probably been 10 plus years ago i feel I feel like we almost immediately started seeing door cars that we hadn't seen in years. Like, did they just drug them out of the barn? Like, oh, we have a chance again. And now most of the races that I go to, the door car side of the field outnumbers the dragster side fairly significantly. It was like that at Michigan. It was like that at Bowling Green. Um, you know, I mean, a lot of races keep them um, identical, you know, 128 in each or 256 in each or whatever the case may be. But the door car side of this has gotten so much stronger uh, over the last 10 years. And I think it can, I think you can direct directly relate that to that decision and that movement to, to separate. Yeah, most definitely. And, you know, obviously I'm a door car guy, but the door car is just so much more versatile and, you know, there's big money bottom bulb races. There's obviously separation door cars and dragsters. So I think there's been, quite a bit of switch over from a traditional dragster racer to, to switch over to the door car side. Certainly a lot of people are doing it on both sides as you've done plenty of yourself. But I think for the, for a lot of people that were one car ponies, um, they, they've switched over to something a little more versatile that, that, that they can enjoy and pretty much take anywhere in race. I think that's another selling point to the door car. So, I believe that movement, as you talked about, not only has brought more door cars out, it has also caused a lot of switchover from a dragster to a door car. Oh, yeah. No, I'm I'm in that camp. I mean, this is 2020 is literally the first time in 22 years that I don't own a dragster. I mean, my wife runs her, her dragster, but uh, I have, I've got my Vega, I've got a Corvette Roadster, and I... I feel like I am as competitive and it's just way more fun. And at least in theory, I haven't really subscribed to this because it seems like every time I go to the racetrack, I tear up something, but at least in theory, it should be cheaper to run my 640 Vega than it should be to run my 450 dragster. That hasn't really come to fruition yet, but it should. <laughs> yes, it should be. All right. Good stuff. Yeah. I just, I wanted to get that out because I feel like every time that we brought up this subject, I'm like chicken little saying that the sky is falling. I'm going to take a step back and look at it. I'm like, yeah, we're going to be okay. You know, I mean, there, there are, that's not to say that there aren't concerns, that there aren't things that we need to look at as a sport that we need to get better at. I still, I'm a, I'm a huge believer that, we need to incorporate, and I know a lot of listeners will hate to hear this because I, I know it's kind of a pain, but I think we would do so much better to incorporate junior dragster racing in with the crowd, whether it be at NHRA division races, at maybe not the elite of elite, but the, the majority of your regional level big dollar bracket races. I feel like a lot of that disconnect from the junior dragster crowd to the bracket racing scene is because like we are never on the same track at the same time. 
Like how do the, those kids outside of their parents don't have like that racing role model because we're not even at the same tracks. Um, I just think that integrating juniors into the big program, which is the way it was initially, you know, again, like I, I feel like to some extent too, we're, we're romanticizing the age where we grew up, Jed, you know, when we think back to, that was the same way, 120 oh, yeah. cars at my local track. And that's how I fell in love with the sport. So I, there's a part of me that just thinks that's the way that it should always be. And that's probably not the case, but I, I do think, I do think we're missing the boat a little bit there. I think if we intertwined the junior cars with the big cars, we would increase that graduation rate pretty significantly. Yep. I would agree with that wholeheartedly. All right. Let's switch gears again. Uh, I, we probably need to pay some bills and then uh, let's come back and have a little bit of fun with, uh, with this week's top five. Jed and I are proud to partner with Bill Taylor Enterprises. That's BTE here within the podcast. Neither of us, Jed or myself, are strangers to BTE products, services, or customer service. I've personally been using BTE transmissions and converters exclusively since 1998. Um, that's 20 years. BTE has quite literally powered every race, every championship, every round that I've won for my entire adult life. My point, they build products that I depend on. BTE builds products that Jed depends on. BTE builds products that you can depend on. Whether it's a complete top dragster or, or top sportsman power glide transmission, a torque converter designed for your specific combination, or any transmission component or bolt-on item, the folks at BTE and Memphis Performance have what you need to succeed in today's ultra-competitive world of sportsman drag racing. Shop online at BTE Racing. Com. Edgewater Sports Park is under new management. Dick Winley owned Edgewater for 40-plus years. His sons have decided to save the track from becoming a gravel pit after Dick's passing, and they have invested big bucks into facility upgrades. There's a brand-new AccuTime timing system in 2020. True Start is in effect. They have updated restrooms this year. They've got new burnout boxes, new concrete from the 660 to the quarter mile in the shutdown area. Concession stand has been overhauled and offers a broader menu. Overall facility facelift, speakers fixed, finish line scoreboards replaced, buildings painted, return roads been paved, staging lane lines, etc. All that painting has been done here in 2020. So Edgewater is back. Check out all of the above improvements, August the 21st through August the 23rd. And that's Saturday and Sunday. We'll be paying $12,500 to the winner. Huge purse on their welcome back. Now, door cars, dragsters, and no box will be run separate as long as possible. So find your way to Edgewater Sports Park, August 21st through August 23rd, and go enjoy the Dick Winley Memorial at the new and improved Edgewater Sports Park. All right, Luke, as you teased before the break, and I teased it last week, we've got our very popular top five segment coming up. And uh, this was your idea, which uh, was a great one. We were bouncing around some ideas for top fives and what we can do on future episodes. And you came up with this a uh, week or so ago. But top five racing songs and i think this is more meant for the song that kind of 
gets you ready, if you will, gets you kind of pumped up and something that uh, you like to listen to maybe or you hope you hear on your favorite radio station or serious radio station. But I, my list, I personally have these songs, as you know, I have a radio in the car and you've obviously done the same now with the resurrection of the, the Vega. Does your car, do you have, is it a CD player or you got some kind of deal where you just connect it to your phone or? Oh, I'm you, baby. It's 2020. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, mine's got all that, but I've got some old burn CDs that I like to play and things that, that get me pumped up. So I'm assuming that you can dial up any of these in your, in your music, in your list, your Apple music list. It's probably been 20 years ago, Jed. I used to have a burn CD that the, you know, written in Sharpie on it was just get jacked. <laughs> some of my songs, some of my top five were on that album. Yeah, there's some of this stuff got a little age to it. Uh, some of these could have even been on records back in the day for sure. But um, really cool, real cool topic. It's going to be a lot of fun to hear. Um, I, your list, as we just talked about off air, is posted for uh, those of us that look at show notes to see. So I am very surprised about what Luke Bogacki finds entertaining uplifting motivating whatever whatever word you want to put to your song and i think you'll be the same on my list but uh this is a very good topic so before we even get started i think listeners this is your opportunity you don't have to come in with a whole bunch of insight or stuff that we ask you for from time to time go to the sportsman drag racing podcast facebook page post your top five what you like to listen to that gets you pumped up and ready to go to the races. But Luke, this segment is not about that. It's about you and I. So we will count this down five to one. You give your number five. I'll give my number five until we get to our number ones. And then we'll probably have a little honorable mention as well. So start us out and tell us who you have in your number five position. I love it. All right, before I do, let me backtrack just a little bit because you laid this out. As you said, this isn't necessarily songs about racing. Like we would both just have a PJ North top five, right? There's, there's no, yeah. there's any competition. There's just songs that get you fired up for racing. And uh, I actually put out a feeler. I got a, I got a group of friends and like a, in a, in a text chat. So I said, hey, you know, I, I need some ideas. Like what, what would be, what are good songs to get you pumped up for racing? And I got a lot of feedback. And, um, but honestly, I had my list before then. My list hasn't changed. All that did was make me realize how narrow a window my taste in music fits into. Maybe to some extent how old I am, right? Um, <laughs> Pretty much all that I listen to is, is, is country music, specifically like the Red Dirt, Texas country, and what would today be considered classic rock, which I cringe when I say. Like, I turn on the classic rock station and I hear Pearl Jam and, and the Smashing Pumpkins and the Foo Fighters and the stuff that I don't think is classic, <laughs> the stuff that I grew up with, right? Yeah. And as I, as I asked, you know, my group of friends, I got such a broad 
um, response that it made me realize like, wow, I live a really sheltered life musically. So take that with a grain of salt as we come in. Like I said, I, I'm not putting this list together to impress anyone. Like these are, these are the songs that I like to listen to that they get me fired up to go racing. Uh, one other note, like, I, I guess I could go here first. When I think country music, like the, 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 the obvious one that would jump out to you would be like, I like rodeo songs in general because I think they're super uh, relatable to racing. You know, it's kind of that same like, hey, out here on my own, love the freedom of doing this, you know, kind of addicted to it, what have you. So like when you think rodeo songs, you think Garth Brooks rodeo, right? Like that's the ultimate. But yeah. to me, that's, it's, it's too easy. Like it's just, a, it's teed up for you. Like I like more obscure stuff. I was the kid that I had, you know, the new album and the band had released you know two singles from the album and everybody loved them and i would find like track 11 that nobody'd heard and maybe it was the lyrics maybe it was the beat whatever like it just kind of spoke to me and i would latch onto it I'm like now that's the best song on this album right and then at some point maybe that song would get released and the minute it did when everyone could enjoy it i didn't like it anymore right like it was no longer <laughs> So there's a lot of that in, in this list. So some of the stuff that I, I read off, you're going to be like, wait, what? And it's like, you made Google lyrics, right? Like, check it out, right? Um, anyway, that's where I'm going. Number five. Well, hold on. Before you get started, uh, if you're a rodeo song guy, you might already know this one and like it, but it, it sums up the life of the rodeo family. And it's Everything That Glitters Is Not Gold by Dan Seals. I don't, I don't, know, if, I don't know if you know that song, but. It's a, it's a really good one. So if you don't know it, check it out. And secondly, before you start, I want to have a disclaimer. Uh, I don't know that our listeners know this about me, but I will simply just say that I'm a homer. You could be able to tell that in my list, but go ahead. Now let's start. You think that might come out today, huh? I think that'd be a shock to a lot of our listeners, but I'm somewhat of a homer. Longtime listeners especially would have no idea. Right? <laughs> All right, number five for me, this, is, this one's going to come off a little bit odd. I'm going to try to explain. Um, so I went through a phase maybe in, uh, in junior high or high school where I really got into what was classic rock at that time, and I got into Queen, right? So number five on my list, We Are the Champions by Queen. The backstory on this, my father and I are going to Baton Rouge, Louisiana. This is probably like 1997. We had bought a ramp truck that had a 500 cubic inch Cadillac engine in it so that we Jeremy Heffler stalker on the ramp truck and haul our trailer that you couldn't stand up in. A lot of you remember like the, the early dragster trailers that were like four feet tall, haul a dragster. Well, the dragster in our case, it was my dad's altar uh, that, that, that we had built in, in the garage. And so that was super comp and the Camaro was stock and we were just going to go set the world on fire. I'm 16, 17 years old. Right. And we thought this was such a great idea. The ramp truck literally lasted that trip to Baton Rouge. You couldn't, you could turn the radio all the way up and you could not hear it over the motor for nine hours. Okay? And I, I thought it was the coolest thing in the world, right? Oh, of course. Come home and, and I'm like, dad, where can I go next? He's like, we are not going anywhere else with that. We're, buying, we're doing something different. And the next thing we had was a dually and a, a gooseneck trailer. But anyway, when we would stop, at a rest area or a stoplight on that trip when we could hear the radio what was playing was we are the champions from queen and my dad 
rolled his eyes at it because he's like, I do not want to listen to this anymore. Right. And I just, um, it was just steady on repeat. But by the end of the trip, I had my father convinced that one day we were going to be riding home from Pomona, California to Northern Texas after winning the world championship. And that's what we were going to play all the damn way home. And it just became like a mantra. Right. And when that came to fruition, I can't say that. I mean, I think I flew to, to California. I didn't. I don't really care anything about Queen anymore. But it's still a song that makes me think of that. It gets me fired up. So we are the champions from Queen, number five. And what a classic, too. We are the champions. I mean, everybody knows that song from, from 12 to 112. Everybody knows we are the champions. So that's a, a really good choice and one that – Teed that up as being super obscure when everybody in the world heard that. That one, yeah, yeah that one quite didn't fit that description. But I, you're getting there, believe me. I, listeners, just trust that he's getting there. Um, my number five, Luke, is doesn't have a big story behind it. It's not something that a lot of people will know, but some of our older listeners will definitely know. I, I just. I'm kind of a shake what your mama gave you kind of guy. I like to dance a little bit. Uh, I think a lot of people know that about me. I like to move and groove and I will do it in the car. I have this in the car. I listen to it quite regular. It's number 16 on my playlist and it is Electric Avenue by Eddie Grant. Do you know that one? I do know that one. I'm, I'm just waiting because you're obviously the much more vocally talented one in the group. Can we get like a stanza from Electric Avenue? We gonna rock on to Electric Avenue and then we'll take it higher. Now, Eddie did it in a more of a Rasta voice and tone, but yeah, I sing it, I dance to it in the car and I play it about 27 on the on the uh, the volume scale. So uh, I love Electric Avenue by Eddie Grant. I don't even know how old that song is, but it's old and it's awesome. That's my number five. <laughs> See, I, I gotta, I do, I, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy that I have a, a stereo in the Vega, but we gotta get together, man. I need an upgrade. Like I got it, you said 27 on volume. I think mine only goes to 41 and at 41, I can barely hear it over idle. I mean, A, I need a quieter race car. Oh. You've got me way covered on that. But B, I, I need like more speakers, amplifiers, whatever I need. I, I need something. Yeah, quieter race car would definitely be the, the way to go there. But when, when that's not an option, you're, you're going to have to add, add speakers. I mean, that's really the only choice you have. So <laughs> I would go that route. Number four, as I delve into obscurity, like I said, I love the correlation, and maybe this is my, my, my Texas roots. I don't know that I necessarily have Texas roots. I was actually born in California. I always claim Texas, though. Um, so I, I talked about the correlation between rodeo and racing, right? And how most rodeo songs, when you hear them, like you could just substitute the words and like it fits right in, right? It's the same mindset. This one, perfect. Chris Ledoux. The late, great Chris Ledoux has a song titled Hooked on an Eight Second Ride. Obviously, that's about riding a bull, but let's just take the chorus from that song, Jed. He's addicted to danger, ruled by passion and pride. To pain and fear, he's no stranger, but his lust needs to be satisfied. He's hooked on an eight second ride. Huh? 
Oh, that is awesome. And that could describe every drag racer on earth. That's it. So it's perfect. Hooked on an eight second ride. Chris Ledoux, if you're not a, f- a fan of old school kickback country, go go take a lesson in Chris Ledoux. You, you, you won't be disappointed. Has there ever been a, a, a singer that was more country rodeo type farmhand type guy than Chris Ledoux? I mean, that. No, he yeah, just transitioned from bull riding to singing. That was that was the path. Yeah, he was a, definitely a legend. All right, Luke, uh, mine gets, I guess, a little bit. I'm, I'm going a little bit farther back on the clock with this one. I, I'm going to say this song's probably late '70s, early '80s. I, I could be missing it, but I think this is it. And I don't know. It's a song that. You know, my I had a sister, I got a sister that's 10 years older than me. So she was right in there, late 70s, early 80s. I was just, you know, in the, the 8 to 12 year old range. And she was obviously in her late teens into her early 20s. So she listened to her music really loud. And she was kind of, kind of wild and crazy and, and just, was living like a lot of people lived in that era and she listened to this song a lot and i just fell in love with it and i've continued to listen to it today and it really cranked my motor i love it lunatic fringe by red rider now a lot of people have probably done some bad things to that song because it's it's a song that can be associated with you know, living a little bit of a more, uh, a little bit of a wilder lifestyle. And again, it's era. Or I'm sure almost promoted that type of living. <laughs> I'm confident that I've heard Lunatic Fringe. It's not ringing a bell. Like I, I don't want, I don't want to ask you to sing every song on your playlist, but can you? Yeah, give- um, I. I I probably couldn't do a real good job of singing it because it's got a, a, a different, a very different tone, but Lunatic Fringe, I Know You're Out There. Um, that's kind of their... Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's kind of the, the center of it. And um, it's mainly, it's not a whole bunch of words. It's mainly music. Yeah. And it was very innovative for its time, the, whatever they were using instrument-wise. To, to make some of the noises that they were making, but Lunatic Fringe just, I don't know, it just does it for me. It's, it's been from my childhood now, so um, that's a big time favorite for me, and it is number two on my playlist in How Big Red. This playlist in Big Red. Excuse me? How many songs are on the playlist? Oh, I probably have. 25 nice yeah i I don't i've got my favorites and i'm 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 very habit wise habit forming on my my how i run those through when i'm in the staging lanes and the warm-up or whatever so i don't get to all of them but i think there's about 25 oh so it's like you start over each round um you know Sometimes start over. Sometimes I don't get to to listen to a complete song, so um, I will finish one up in the 
in the next round and sometimes I'm out talking to people in the staging lane so it's it's I'm all across the board I don't really start it all over every time but I there are nights when I listen to the same song twice gotcha gotcha all right so my uh my number three kind of follows along the same lines as just the beat gets me so my number three comes from Pearl Jam and this is one where uh I don't know like you get you get a lot of variety on uh on Pearl Jam lyrics like supposedly there's a lot of deep seated, you know, like in depth, uh, you know, content in Pearl Jam lyrics for the most part. I, I don't, I don't get it. <laughs> so, but I like that. So the one that sticks out to me is, uh, is Corduroy by Pearl Jam. It actually, it's, it gets hammered home into my head more today, probably even than in my youth, because uh, I don't know if any of our listeners out there, I, I, I really enjoy listening to the Bill Simmons podcast, Bill Simmons Sports Guy, and he leads off every show with the, the like musical introduction to Corduroy, and it's just like, let's get fired up. You know what I mean? It just leads you into that. The, the, the lyrics of the song mean nothing to me. They, they may mean a lot to others, but to me, I'm like, I, don't, I, don't, I really <laughs> be fired up. So Corduroy, number three. Uh, I do not, not know that song. I'm going to have to look it up and, and try to get a feel for what it is. And <clears throat> maybe I do know it and I just don't know it. But I'm sure um, you would recognize it when you hear it. But again, like kind of to the, the point, this makes great radio, by the way, um, both of us trying to explain songs that we can't sing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 the vocals of it aren't the thing. It's, it's, it's the, the musical, like, lead up to it in the beat it's it's awesome it just it gets it i think it would get anyone fired up it gets me fired up okay cool i'm i'm uh being a 70s kid i'm a big fan of corduroy uh that was a material that i wore quite a bit in that time and as i I learned that how much i loved you know hamburgers and oreo cookies and those things and my corduroys got a little tighter on the thighs uh that's a material that makes a lot of noise when your thighs rub together and you know could cause a fire so those of you that might be challenged in that respect don't wear corduroy because it's, it's dangerous material <laughs> Very warm. um my number three starts some of my my homerness um there's a guy that we both know luke that's a musician and he broke into my life and 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 my uh view or, or or ear view of music by having songs about racing i'm like this is like specifically about racing like the kind of racing i do he's making songs about it so fell in love with it got to know pj north as we both know pj will do his buddies a favor and name drop them at times in his music and since i'm such a homer and this one jj just i mean jj stays jacked about this one he he loves to listen to this song it is way of life by pj north now yes i'm a homer it does name drop me and it talks about switching feet like jared pennington which I love. I love having my name in the song and, and it talking about my foot break roots and those things. But if you actually just sit and listen to the song, you know, it talks about 
not having the the you know spending money that you don't have to go racing well who who among us hasn't done that it it talks about uh basically doing whatever you got to do to get to the track because of the it's a way of life and the dream that you have of being like some legendary people in the sport and i don't know if, if you just sit and listen to it aside from having my name in it which kills it for a lot of people i'm sure it's a really good song about not only about racing but about our kind of racing which puts it number three on my list so pj north way of life does it for me that's a good one pj's got so much good stuff but i would tend to agree i don't know if there's if, if he makes another appearance on your list but that's probably the one that stands out to me if i had to pick up favorite pj north it, it's probably way of life as well yeah that's a great one all right so number two uh pretty much goes against everything that I've said thus far. Uh, <laughs> a lot of obscurity and that I'm, I'm very narrow in my, uh, in my choice of music. But man, one that just gets, it got me fired up the first time that I heard it and it has the exact same effect today. It is, and, I, and this is one that I think is relatively common among other racers. Um, and, it, and it probably does like uh, just show my, my uh, narrowness in, in music and my white boy roots, but it's Eminem's Lose Yourself. That's a good one. I mean, the beat gets you going, and then when you actually listen to the words throughout, like, oh, my God, it, you can't help but be. You're ready to run through a wall when you get done with that song. You know, great point. Eminem has that ability to get you pumped up in uh, most of his music. Now, sometimes his, his views, I would prefer that maybe he didn't share that with us in public. Um, just keep that to himself and it it might help me enjoy his music a little more but he, he is a, a guy that gets you fired up pretty much with most every song he does so and lose yourself excellent song for that so i actually um need to probably add that to my to my playlist i think that one's a, a good pump you up song I, i'm gonna i'm probably gonna pull that one from your list and and put it in my put it in my playlist too so I can hear that from time to time so number two again as I've as I've done a couple of times already in the in my list I've gone to the you know way back uh, I've gone to the era where I grew up and, and did my growing up all up my, and I consider that anything up into my teens but Again, probably should have got a date on this song, but this is a song every listener we have is going to have heard. And I think the majority of people could hear it, hear the first five seconds of the intro and will know exactly what it is. I'm a big Gap Band fan and Drop the Bomb on Me is a huge favorite of mine that one is number two for me on the list and i don't know i mean if if there's a person on earth that can sit and listen to that song maybe by themselves without just you know just moving a little bit in the seat bobbing the head or moving the hips a little i'd be shocked because that's the song you just got to shake it to luke i mean you got to have some movement when you hear drop the bomb on me and that <laughs> For me, anything you can, you know, get a groove to and get get your body moving and 
enjoy the lyrics. That's a that's an easy choice. And Drop the Bomb on Me is number 12 on my playlist. And I have actually worn it out. It's got a couple of skips in it because I've played it so much. And I know it on repeat a time or two. Yeah, it will it will skip around a little bit on you there, and but I, I'm able to power through it. All right, we are we're down to the moment that everyone has been waiting for. Both of you that have stuck around through the first eight of our respective top fives, right? <laughs> well, those that have left are going to regret it because it's it's only getting better. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, so I'll uh, I'll go first here again because once again this is obscure. I would say that ninety. 8% of our listeners, if they're really interested, will have to, to have to like Spotify, listen to this song, but do it. It is worth your time. We're going back to the Rodeo Roots, the Rodeo Racing Connection, the greatest rodeo song of all time. Texas in 1880. Originally written and recorded by Radney Foster, made a little bit more popular uh, by Pat Green. He did uh, a cover of it. Texas in 1880 is amazing. Okay, so it, the, the first line of it, I can hear the wind whisper in my name, telling me it's time to head out again. The horses are trailered and the lights are shut down. I'm long overdue for heading out of town. Huh? Right? <laughs> uh, you know, Texas in 1880, that's a revolution. Texas was young and wild and free. Right? That's the song. Be young and wild and free like Texas in 1880. It's awesome. Like, I... Most people probably never heard it. I remember this has been years ago because I was still living in Alabama. I got Brad Plord hooked on Texas in 1880, and he's like, I got to have this song. I'm like, yes, every racer has to have this song. This is it. Texas in 1880, number one, baby. Luke, that's, uh, that is definitely obscure. I have no idea what song this is. Never heard it. I'm somewhat familiar with Radney Foster, and I'm somewhat familiar with Pat Green. Um, but never heard Texas in 1880, but your description of it and your love for it is piqued my interest. So I will, uh, I'll definitely go pick that one up as well and try to try to get familiar with it because it's obviously, um, you know, a classic and a, a song that's 1880 was on get jacked. And after you listen to it, Jed, it will be number 22. <laughs> <laughs> I look forward to hearing it. <laughs> okay, in typical Big Jed fashion, I could not decide on my number one song. So I have a one and a one A. Uh, oh, wow. Okay. And I thought this was a shoe in. Like, I thought for sure I had your number one. Okay. Uh, I bet you do know my number one. But my one A is back in the day when Big Jed might have been a little cockier and, you know, I felt like when I got to the track, I was going to win because I've, I've kind of been a radio and my car guy for a long, long time. Um, I loved to play when things went well or if I was fig figuring they were about to go well. I loved to play a Queen song myself. And it's one again that I think everybody can sing along to and would know what it is just a, a few seconds into the the intro and that's another one bites the dust i mean you know when you think about clicking them off round by round and putting people you know nowadays it's in the trailer it used to be on the trailer you know when you think about 
you accomplishing that goal? What else would you want to listen to besides Another One Bites the Dust? I mean, that is a classic song. It's It's got great tone to it, great lyrics, and it certainly sums up what our mission is on the racetrack. You know, put another one down, another one in the trailer. So that song kind of kind of pumps me up gets me excited but it's usually post effort <laughs> and, and only if it goes the right direction right? yeah we i don't play that when i get my head caved in so i don't get to play another one by just very regular because I, I, I get my head caved in a lot jed i you you probably don't realize it but you absolutely just came up with the heading for our next top five <laughs> Is sayings that the best sayings that we have seen on the back valence or on the bumper of a race car because another one bites the dust fits that mold. Oh my gosh, this is that one's going to be awesome. I'm going to love that one. All right, write it down. That's next. <laughs> I can't wait for that because I, <laughs> oh man, do I have one? Whew. I don't even know <laughs> if I can say it. <clears throat> but anyway, that's one A because another one bites the dust should be at the top of anybody's list, whether it's about racing or not. But my number one song is something that I started doing way back when, because I, when I started traveling, that was probably in the early 2000s. And, you know, I'm, here I am from Alabama, that Alabama boy. He's over here foot breaking, not a bad racer doing his thing, but, you know, we're going we gonna to show him whatever state I was in, we're going to show him. This is this how we do it here in this state. You don't come to Tennessee from Alabama and win. You don't come to Georgia and win from Alabama. So, again, that was in a day where Big Jed might have been a little cockier, a little more confident, and just really didn't care what people thought so much. And I would play this one before and after, and I play it loud and proud. And it is the Alabama Anthem. Sweet Home, Alabama, by Leonard Skinnerd. I played that at the Southern Door, I mean, at the Summer Door Car Shootout when I got by the winningest driver in Summer Door Car Shootout history, Jeremy McCaig. And I come to the winner's circle and I played that sucker loud and proud. And I don't get to the winner's circle out of state very often anymore, but by God, let me tell you something. When you see me get there, you can rest assured Sweet Home Alabama is playing on the radio because that is how I roll. <laughs> and I don't care what anybody thinks about it. Sweet Home Alabama, number one on my top five racing songs, my top five church songs, my top five birthday songs, or any other top five songs that you can come up with. That is how we live here in Alabama and Again, a song that everybody knows and loves and loves to sing. It's popular in the bars. It's popular at parties. And it's popular when you crack some heads out of state in your 72 Red Nova and you're playing it on the CD player loop. That's how it's done right there. Sweet Home Alabama, number one. Jed, I knew that you were serious. I knew that you were adamant about this pick. But when you threw the by God in there, it took it to a whole other level. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's exactly right. That's how, it, that's how it's said. It's said by God. That's how we do it. 
and you know that's i mean again it's something that people will take sometimes offensive that man's rolling up here playing sweet home alabama on his radio after he just won that's the first race he's won in you know four years i ain't hard to see him turn on any win lights and that's really the case for me these days people don't see me win a whole lot but when you see me win rest assured you can when i pull them power windows down on both sides yeah yeah, I know we've got power windows in it. When you pull them down on both sides and the engine cuts off, it's like, is that, is he playing Sweet Home Alabama inside that car? <laughs> you damn right he is. <laughs> That's how it's done right there. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, to my earlier point, that one was a hanging curveball. Like, that was lobbed up. That <laughs> you saw that one coming? Number one when I breached the idea. So, yeah, no surprise there. Uh, <laughs> all right, yeah, good stuff, good stuff. All right, so Sweet Home Alabama with a 1A of another one bites the dust, which, again, spawns a whole other conversation. It's going to be epic. Drop the bomb on me. PJ's way of life. Lunatic Fringe. Electric Avenue. Man, good stuff, good stuff. Can I give you a couple of honorable mentions? Yeah, because I got a couple too. Hit me. Okay, they're, they're not good racing songs, but I do like to listen to them, and, and I've got them in the car. Um, I like Raspberry Beret. Uh, Raspberry Beret was Prince and the Revolution. It wasn't just the artist formerly known as Prince. Um, I mean, love that song. Has nothing to do with racing. Big Michael Jackson fan. I love Billie Jean. Mm. Uh, I, I like to listen to Billie Jean. That's a that's a great song. Again, has nothing to do with racing or getting you pumped up for it, but it's on the playlist. Stevie Wonder fan. I just called to say I love you. That's the one I like to roll up on a group of guys at the racetrack, uh, just kind of sitting around. I roll up, shut the car off with the windows down, and I <laughs> like to have the chorus just about ready when I roll up to them. And I, you know, I'll point to one of them. So I like to do that. That's kind of one of my moves. And then finally, uh, nobody, I say nobody, a lot of people are going to know this one, but you know, these, these um, rap grass. I guess songs, you know, you take the bluegrass group and they, they turn these songs, these famous songs into their own in the, in a bluegrass style. Well, the Gourds is a group that I like to listen to and their version of gin and juice. <laughs> oh my gosh. Luke. <laughs> it's amazing. If you haven't heard it, look up gin and juice by the Gourds. I'm going to have to check that out. It is phenomenal. So that's my honorable mention. I'm looking forward to hearing yours. Okay, well, I had mentioned rodeo earlier. Like I said, I felt like it was it was too much of a lob up, too too obvious. Uh, but another one, because I'm a big Garth Brooks fan, this one was really obscure because when Garth released like his uh, seven album set, they snuck an extra track onto each album. Well, one of those tracks is called Night Rider's Lament, which is a really slow, really country cowboy song. But if you, if for anyone that has ever attempted or has a mind to attempt racing for a living, that's the song, The Night Rider's Limit. Like, it's, hmm. it's, does he ride for his money? Why does he rope for short pay? Like, it's really good. So that, that will speak to you. Uh, had a number of, uh, of suggestions, again, from a friend's group. Stuff that I agree will get you pumped up, just didn't quite hit the mark for me personally. Metallica's Understand Man. Uh, Thunderstruck, that's ACDC. And one, Jed, that I had forgotten completely about until you uh, 
kind of ran through your list and some of the things that you were talking about. I forgot about this because I would, I think it's fair to say I've not heard this song in a decade, but this was absolutely on Get Jacked. This was one of my go-tos to the point that I had, this was also the title of an album. I had the artwork from the album adorned across the front of my helmet for years in my younger, you know, a little bit more outspoken days. Cocky from Kid Rock. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they say I'm cocky and I say, well, it ain't bragging if you back it up. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. Come on. So, yeah. Yeah, that, that great song, but the real standout for me and your honorable mention is Thunderstruck. <clears throat> that's a that's a song that makes me, I have no desire whatsoever to have hair that you have to wash or cut or anything like that. Thunderstruck makes me wish I had a head full of hair because I just want to, I want to be up there on one of those levels in that, that room. Just, uh, 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 I want to be whipping my hair in the wind and, and giving it the, you know, the, the kind of the hook em horns deal while I'm doing that. That's a, <laughs> that sign is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's how that goes. So uh, Thunderstruck should have been on my list. I'm, I'm embarrassed that it wasn't. But I love that song. Yeah, that's a good one. So. All right, Luke. Great stuff. Great top five. Looking forward to the next one. That was a lot of fun. But unfortunately, our fun has come to a close here. Um, it is time to wrap up the show. want to say thanks to the great sponsors that help bring the show to you. Please look to them for their products and services each and every opportunity you have. They help us uh, bring this show to you even whether you like it or not you, if you're still listening right now we, we owe it to those sponsors and uh, we certainly want that feedback tell us your top five songs tell us uh, your top two songs whatever you can muster up send it to us there on the sportsman drag racing podcast facebook page along with any other information you want us to have if you want to tell us what we did right what we did wrong what you want more of less of whatever some top five suggestions whatever you got send it to us there on the facebook page we would love to hear from you. Luke, it is shout time. I think I'm going to butcher this because I, I, I'm 99% sure I didn't write it down accurately. You shared off air your new title and it sounded really, really impressive. So I was going to start off by shouting out regional sales manager, but I think there's more to it than that. <laughs> regional sales and operations manager. <laughs> See, that sounds so much better when you say it. Yeah, that operations thing, that really throws it to a whole new level. Very important operations. All right, shouts to that. Shouts to Amazinger, another one at the top of the show. <laughs> Appreciate that. It's, 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 it's a doozy. Shouts to Kelly Smith, um, owner of, of me, at least on the bottom, and seemingly the other uh, 30 competitors in the Nobox side at MidMichigan. Kelly Smith, dominant. Shouts to, oh, this one. Okay, so... A few top fives ago, we did our favorite all-time race car names, right? Yeah. A very well-known racer approached me at the World Super Pro Challenge and said, hey, I got a beef with the podcast. You missed one. I'm like, oh, God, what have we done? Oh. <laughs> <A> race <laughs> names. How on earth could you have a list of race car names and not include the meat wagon? <laughs> the meat wagon? Like, this is not ringing a bell for me. Not familiar. I believe this was a Vega station wagon with the meat wagon down the side. And I, 
have no reason to question this. I don't believe I've ever seen the meat wagon. I can't imagine that I would have forgotten it had I had seen the meat wagon. No chance. But I'm going to assume, coming from the authority that this came from, that the meat wagon is absolutely a thing and it does exist. And if it is a thing and it does exist, it is absolutely top five worthy. So we apologize. The meat wagon. <laughs> yes. Shouts to everything that glitters is not gold and anyone that thought that that would ever earn a mention on this podcast, along with half of the other um, songs that, that we mentioned over the course of the last half hour. Shouts, of course, to PJ North, because if we were really doing this, uh, we both have top fives full of PJ's work. Like, it's awesome. <laughs> um, you, we, we, we snuck one in there. But, uh, yeah, if we're talking racing songs, it's all PJ all the time. Um, shouts to Obscurity in general and, uh, and Radney Foster and Pat Green on my end. And, uh, and I'll close, of course, uh, by shouting out the By God, because that's when you know bleep's about to get real. By God. <laughs> by God. Well said, Luke. Well done, as always. And guys, that's going to bring us to a close. As I said, reach out to us, please, on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page. Give us your top five and, and again, any of that other stuff I talked about prior to shouts. And uh, if you're a Twitter kind of person, and we'd love to see you reach out to us on Twitter and tell us things that you uh, like or dislike about the show, whatever, just uh, shout to us about some things we talked about. You can get a hold of Luke. He is at Luke Bogacki, B-O-G-A-C-K-I, and I am at JP11X. Tag us, bag us, and snag us, and let us know what you're thinking. Thank you for listening. Great show, a lot of fun. We'll talk to you soon about more Sportsman Drag Race. It's all that we know. It's Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is at each event, there are a hundred plus entries. There's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.